Let me pray for us. God, you are holy and magnificent. You are mighty. You're a God who is not far off, but you are a God who is near. You're a God who cares. You're a God who loves. You're a God who judges. You are a God who is surprising. You're a God who we cannot comprehend fully, but you are a God who has spoken. And so today, as we come to your word, we just want to be those who listen. So God, would you speak to us? Would you incline our hearts to your testimonies, to, to hear you, to, to uh, take all that we have and, and all of our burdens even now in this moment, to lay them upon you, to trust you with them, and ask for you just to open up our ears that we might hear, open up our eyes that we might see, because God, we want you to speak and nothing else. We are your servants and we listen. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. I wonder if you read the Bible like you do every other book. You know, you pick up a good book and you, you might know its story. You might be uh, impacted by the beauty of it. You say you, you pick up the book of Ruth and, and you read through it. You think of the beauty of the characters and just how that love story is quite amazing. The sacrifice, the, uh, the, everything you see there is just something to admire. Like a good book you might pick up on the shelf. And you, you set it down when you're done. And, and you're not really uh, impacted by it. You're not really changed by it. It doesn't affect the way that uh, you think about your marriage. Or your relationship with other people. Or your sacrifice or your job or anything. But maybe it's just a story that you've read and you appreciate. Maybe you, you read a, a good textbook. You read it up for information. You look up all the facts, the names, the locations, the, the numbers. And maybe you read parts of the Bible like that. It's just a fact book. Uh, some knowledge for you to gain in your head. Some understanding for you to have. That you can categorize really nice and neat. But it's just that. It's information. And perhaps it's just a rule book. Uh, it's just like a driver's ed handbook that tells you the rules of the road. Tells you what that sign means. Tells you what it doesn't mean. Tells you where to go and what not to do. And so do you read the Bible sometimes like that? Just like a handbook that's supposed to tell you right and wrong, and that's it. Um, I wonder if you read the Bible like you do every book. I wonder, how do you read your Bible? And when I say that, I don't mean, do you sit down with a nice cup of coffee? Or do you read it out loud, or do you read it silently? Or do you read it in the morning or in the evening? Do you read it with others or by yourself? That's not what I mean when I ask the question, how do you read it? The question is, how do you read it? And how does it change you? Or does it? That's the question that I'm faced with when I read my Bible daily. I, I might get through the time reading the words on the page. I might know the stories. I might gain some information. I might enjoy the, the narrative. But at the end of the day, has it impacted me so that I now do something? We know from the book of James, it tells us that we're not just to be hearers of the word, but we're to be doers of the word. So the question is, how do you read your Bible? Look at Psalm 119, verse 41 through 48. Last week, we looked at this and we saw 
that the Word of God is a book that is uh, trustworthy because of its author, that, that the source that we have for information, uh, for historical accounts, that, that they are a trustworthy source, that we can look to the Bible, and not just the historical facts, but the promises, the promises that God makes to his people, that what he tells us about himself, all of these things are trustworthy. It is something that we can rely upon, something we can stake our lives upon, put our faith in, that we believe these words. Because these words are to us life and breath and transformative. This is a trustworthy word. It is also a word in which we find hope. We're not just looking for, for things that we can pluck out and, and take some chances in, in this world. No, instead we look for a hope, a, a real assurance, a, a trust, something that, that gives us a joy and contentment in longing for is this hope that we find in the Bible. Uh, and not just a hope of what is yet to come for those who trust in Jesus and have their sins forgiven, but a real hope for this moment. A hope for the hopeless. Joy for the joyless. Forgiveness for the sinner. It's a book of hope. Beyond that, we saw that because it is these things, it is trustworthy and it is full of hope, it is a book in which we find delight. We have our real delight, a joy, a happiness that is not found in, that is found in uh, shaking circumstances in this world. No, instead we look to the Word of God where our delight is found because it is consistent. It is unchanging. The, the joy that we can gain from knowing the Bible and knowing the Word of God and knowing the God of the Bible is that we can take delight in Him because we know what He's like and that He's not changed. And we know uh, who He is and how He interacts with His people. This is a God in whom we take delight in. We can find real joy in knowing this God. And lastly, last week we looked at the Bible is the place that we can uh, find a text to love. And not just words on a page, and not just your copy because it feels nice in your hand, and that's why you love it, but a genuine, real, lasting, deep, abiding love because it's a, a reflection of the love of God. We love because He first loved us. Well, where do we learn of His love? But His Word. And so this word we love because it teaches us about God's love for us. And so this is a word that is trustworthy. It is full of hope. It is our delight. And it is a word in which we can love when all other things in this world are wavering. This word is unshaking. But out of that, does it change us? Does it change us other than giving us something to trust in and a little bit of hope and maybe it changes our delights and our affections and a little bit of joy and something to love that is not going to let us down? Those things, does it change us? Do we read this the same way we read everything else or is it actually transforming us to be something different, to live differently? Let me read for you God's word, Psalm 119, verse 41 through 48. It says this, Let your steadfast love come to me, O Lord, your salvation according to your promise. Then I shall have an answer for him who taunts me. I trust in your word. And take not your word of truth utterly out of my mouth, 
for my hope is in your rules. I will keep your law continually forever and ever, and I shall walk in a wide place, for I have sought your precepts. I will also speak of your testimonies before kings and shall not be put to shame. For I find my delight in your commandments, which I love. I will lift up my hands towards your commandments, which I love, and I will meditate on your statutes. This morning, I just want us to see very simply, very easily, five ways in which we are to be doers of the word. Ways in which we are to read this book like no other book. Ways in which this book is going to transform how we live. And it is evidential. We can see it. We can notice it. I want you to see the first one in verse 44. It says, I will keep your law continually forever and ever. The second is in 45, I shall walk in a wide place. Verse 46, I will also speak of your testimonies. And then verse 48, we find the two final ones. I will lift up my hands towards your commandments. And lastly, I will meditate on your statutes. All of these things, David says, I will do as a response of your word. So the question is, do we not just understand how we're supposed to feel and relate to the word of God and trust and hope and delight and love, but do we understand how we're supposed to be because of the word of God? And so David has laid out for us here five things that I want us to look at. Uh, the first one in verse 44, look again with me, says, I will keep your law. I will keep it. I will obey it. As we've talked before, as looking through Psalm 119, thinking about the word of God, in order to keep the law, you must know the law. You, you can't keep the law if you're ignorant of the law. I'm, maybe you're like me who, who uh, pretends to be ignorant of a speed limit sign. And we think, well, I, I didn't know it was an 80 zone. And that's why I was going faster. Um, but here, the, the question is, are you being ignorant in the same way to think, well, I didn't know the law. I didn't know that that was right. Or I didn't know that that was wrong in order to, to keep it. I didn't know the rules of God. I didn't know that that displeased God. And here's the honest truth is sometimes you don't know until you get through life and then you do something and you realize the guilt the guilt and the pain and the ache or the agony. Or sometimes you don't even feel that and someone else has to tell you that that does not please God. And that's the joy and the privilege of having others in your life who know the word of God, right? Sometimes you are deceived by your own sinfulness and you have blinders on and you, you do not know every part of the word of God as I don't know it. And you're just carrying on in life and you do something or you act a certain way and you, you, you say something or you um, maybe you... Uh, share someone else's story and it kind of you know doesn't make them look good it, it, you didn't know any different but when someone comes along to you and tells you you know what um, that that's gossip that was not your story to tell and God says that we should not gossip we should not be sharing other people's news and, and perhaps you were so ignorant you didn't know that or you didn't know that that's what gossip was or slander was or you know perhaps you are living your life and, and you're talking about someone from your past and, and it really shows that you have 
bitterness, but you don't know that. You're just talking about an account in your life. And someone comes alongside you who, who knows the Word of God and has heard the Word of God about bitterness and says, you realize that you're walking in bitterness and that does not please God. That's something we must put off. Well, that's the beauty of living in community with people of God who know the Word. So that in areas where you don't know it, they can show you. They can show you where you've been lied to, whether it's by your own heart or by the world or by your own sinful flesh. But they can also show you where um, the boundaries are of things that they know and things that maybe you should know or, or things that maybe you're disregarding at, at a moment, at a given moment. Here's the thing. We want to be those who keep the law. And so in order to keep the law, we must know it. So do you know the law? Do I know the law? Well, what's great about uh, the law is when one of these great law keepers, someone who would have approached the Bible, a, a real religious man, came to Jesus, and he, and he was the kind of guy who approached the Bible as a rule book. Here's the lists. All right, I'm going to do that. I'm going to check that off, and uh, that's the way I'm going to live because that's what I think I should do. He comes to Jesus. He says, you know, um, have I done everything right? And, and, and Jesus says, well, what have you done? And he says, well, I've kept all these laws, and I've done everything. I've, I've checked all the boxes. And then uh, Jesus asks him some deeper questions about, like, well, are you willing to sell all you have and give to the poor? Are you willing to uh, do that? And this man goes away broken uh, because he's very rich. And it's kind of revealing in his own heart, like, maybe he hadn't thought about that checkbox or, or it's much deeper than that. It's much greater than that, so that he actually didn't keep the law. So then when another asks Jesus, well, what are the laws? You know, and, and Jesus kind of sums them up. He says, you want to wrap up the whole law, everything that God desires for you and for me? He says, here's, here's the two greatest commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and mind and soul and strength. And second is love your neighbor as yourself. So Jesus wraps up the law in love God, love others. And so if we are to keep the law, we are to govern the way we live on those two hinge points. Is this loving to God and is this loving to my neighbor? Um, and it takes a lot of learning and, and knowledge and wisdom to even uh, wade through those two ways of life. Is, is this loving God? Is this not loving God? How am I supposed to love my neighbor in this way or that? So we, we take the rules that we have been given and we, we chew on them and we ask them into our own lives and our own circumstances so that we might be those who keep the law. And not just for a checklist and you've done it once and you're good to go. You know, the Bible says that uh, one of the laws, one of the good rules of religion is that you should care for the orphan and the widow. Do you check the box one time and say, hey, I helped out a widow. You know, I, I brought her a food basket. I wrote her a nice card. I, whatever. Uh, hey, I supported a foster family. I've helped out the orphan. Uh, and check that box and carry on. Well, here, look at verse 44 again. It says, I will keep your law continually. So uh, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, not just Sunday. I'll keep your law continually. And not just this week, but forever and ever. Uh, the timing given here is just like, it is a perpetual obedience. It is, seems impossible. If you are like me and you're looking at this, you think, well, I, I can't. I can't keep this law continually 
let alone forever and ever. I get worn out. I get exhausted trying to obey the rules. And I know I break them every single day. But here's the thing, as we've learned elsewhere in Psalm 119, is all these things that David desires, all these things that he promises or is lifting up to God and saying, this is, this is what I, I hope to do in light of your word, is it's all enabled by and strengthened by and equipped by the power of God. This is never something that we do on our own, never something that we do in our own strength. Instead, we desire and we strive for and by God's grace, we're able to keep the law, and not just one time, but continually, forever and ever, without weariness. And in your own strength, you would fail. But with the strength and the power of God, it shall be done. So the first way in which we're to be doers of the word, not just someone who reads the word, but someone who does it is to be a keeper of the word. The second, in 45, we find it says, And I shall walk in a wide place, for I have sought your precepts. The question is, what does it mean, a wide place? I thought the way of God was a narrow way. I thought it was a really narrow path. I thought it wasn't the wide path. Here, what it's meaning is not necessarily a wide and easy way where you have uh, all the options of the world before you, but instead, it is speaking of a, a way of liberty. I shall walk in a wide place. I will walk freely. And I'm not enslaved anymore. I'm not in chains. I am not even bound to a system or a slave master. I can freely walk. I can freely obey God. When before, before God has helped me, before God has delivered me in my own sinfulness, I can't say this. I cannot walk. I would be dragged into chains. I would be dragged. But here, by the grace of God, as we are people who are delivered, we will walk in liberty, in freedom, in Christian freedom to obey God. We are to walk in newness of life, and that is not enslaved to the former ways of life. It is not with all of the broken ailments that say, you cannot do that thing. Well, no more uh, can we uh, be refused to obey. Instead, we shall walk in this wide place of liberty and freedom by the grace of God. He's delivered us from that brokenness. He's delivered us from the prison cell. We're no longer trapped in that prison cell only uh, with one master that says, serve yourself. God has taken us out of that. If we are found in Christ, if you have come to Jesus and you've realized your own sinfulness and you've said, I can't do this. I can't keep a single one of your commandments. And when I try, I fall short. And when you realize that you fall short of God's commandments and that that means you'll never get into heaven. So maybe you've tried to work and work and work and make up for it and, and, and pile up more commandments you've, you've obeyed. But over here, you're still... Realizing you've disobeyed in some ways. That is a life of slavery. And the only way to be set free is through a relationship with the Lord Jesus. The one who will come and rescue you. Not just bring you out as that prisoner. But instead, put you to death. And raise you a new life on the outside. With his strength, his power, and his ability. You're a new creation in Christ. And that only happens when we come to God and say, I can't do this. 
And I will never be acceptable before you. Never. There is nothing that I can bring to you that says I will be worthy to go into heaven. The only thing I can cling to is Jesus. If Jesus came to set the captives free, how did he do it? Well, he took all of the sin and all of the shame and all of that, uh, the, the thing that just imprisons someone, he takes it all in himself on the cross and says, here's your record of debt. Here's all the wrongs you've done. And here's all the, the right things you've done with the wrong motives. All of it. I'll take it upon myself. And the judgment that is owing you, I'll pay for it. I'll pay for it in full. Not just in part, but in full. And when you entrust yourself to that, when you throw yourself upon that and say, that is my plea, nothing else. There is no religion that I've done, no good thing that I've done. Nothing in me is worthy to say God is mine. But only when I come to Jesus and say, I must be united to him. I must have him take my place. I must have him die for me. When you believe that and you trust that with your life, so that he does make you new. He does forgive you in the cross. And he does bring you up to be a new person on the other side of that. You, by faith, you've been made new. That person is the one who is set free. Who is set free from the bondage of sin. You will no longer have to obey that old slave master, the flesh, or the enemy. But instead, you now shall walk in a wide place. Don't walk in the former ways of life. We read that time and time and time again in the scripture. That we are to put off the old man. Like it's going to be a natural inclination in you to keep on living that way or to keep on answering the call of the enemy. But you can turn to him and say, I don't have to obey you anymore. I don't have to listen anymore. I'm free. I'm free. So I will, I shall walk in a wide place. The next thing is 46. He says, I will also speak of your testimonies before kings and will not be put to shame. You know, maybe you read a good book and you like the story so you tell someone else about it. Well, a lot of times you don't. A lot of times you read a book and no one else will ever know. How many times does that happen with your Bible reading? How many times have you read through a passage, read through an entire book, read through a chapter and it's not even affected you in a way that you feel like I need to share this with someone? But here's the reality is when you have opportunity, would you? Will you? Here, David says, I will speak of your testimonies. And he says, before kings. Like, even if I had the opportunity before the most noble of person, the, more, the most majestic of person, a person that I would almost tremble before, even before king, if he called me in and said, what are you reading these days? And what does it mean to you? And, and how are you living? Like, I would take that opportunity. I would tell him, I am reading God's word. Because God's word is this to me. It is trustworthy. It is full of hope. It is my delight. It is the word from which I love. It is my joy. Would you take that opportunity before a king? Let alone any other person below a king. It's kind of the idea wrapped up from the, the lowest in nobility to the highest in nobility. Would you take that opportunity to speak of his testimonies? To talk about what you are learning. To talk about what you've been reading. To, to share what God is like. To share what he has done. To share. Would you speak? That's what it means to be a doer of the word. Is, is we are so transformed by this word. We're not just hearing it. But we're, we're repeating it. We are heralding it. We are, are, are telling the good news which is found in this word. We are 
going to be those who are speaking this word. And, and it's amazing. He says, I will speak of your testimonies before kings and will not be put to shame. Won't be put to shame. I love what um, John and Peter say, you know, when they're uh, arrested for talking about Jesus. They say, we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. Like, we have seen Jesus. We have heard Jesus. We have interacted with Jesus. He has changed us. Not just some story to be observed. Not just a movie we watched on a screen. Not just a book we read over there. But this Jesus we have seen. And we have heard him. He has come alive to us. And what we have seen and what we have heard, what we have witnessed, we cannot keep silent about. They said, it doesn't matter if he throws in prison a hundred times over. We will not stop talking about it. We have seen it. And we have heard it. And so we will tell of it again and again and again without shame. The question is, are you the same? Are you the same when it comes to the word of God? Or perhaps when, you know, a loved one or a neighbor asks you, hey, what are you reading these days? You might just say the Bible. Um, but do you take those opportunities to go further, to go deeper, to, to show them that you have seen Jesus, to show them that you've seen God, the one who created the heavens and the earth on display, that you've seen God interact with people, that you've seen God interact with you. Do you take those opportunities to speak his testimonies, to speak what God says is right, what God says is wrong? Do you take those opportunities? Paul says in Romans 1:16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. I'm not ashamed of it. The question is, why are we ashamed of it sometimes? Why would we rather skirt around the topic? Why would we rather not talk about it? Um, sometimes opportunity presents itself. Sometimes someone asks. Um, and, and Peter tells us, be ready to give a defense. Be ready to, to tell people of the hope that's in you. And, and you do that by just recounting what God has done in your life. They're never going to refute that. But even then, when we're given opportunities, sometimes we shy away. We're ashamed. All the more when, when we want to pursue opportunities to share what God is doing. Uh, we're so shy and we're so ashamed. And, and there's nothing to be ashamed of. That's why Paul says, I'm not ashamed of it because this is the power of God to save. If you really believe that people need saving... If I really believe that my loved one and my neighbor needs to be rescued by God, why would I be so ashamed that I, that I know that found within this book, as God speaks, are words of life, are words of deliverance, are words of hope, are words of salvation. That faith comes by hearing the word of Christ. If I know that to be true... Why am I so ashamed? It's just a real, a real humbling thing to ask of yourself. Uh, ask yourself, why, why would I ever be ashamed of the, the Bible? Why would I ever be ashamed of the gospel? Maybe it's because I don't know it that well. Maybe it's because I haven't spent time to interact with the Word of God. Maybe it's that I just, I'm so afraid of what man will think. I'm so afraid of what they'll do. Will they reject me? Will they deny me? And when you're a person who knows the word of God, you know that that doesn't matter. <laughs> the person who might reject you, they might live another 50 years, but they're not going to live another 100 years. And so what does it matter? 
what they think of you. What does it matter at the end of the day if they, if they embarrass you because you talk about your love for the word and your love for the gospel? Let's, let's not be ashamed. Let's have some perspective when we think about speaking the testimonies of God. This word is the word of God, who was and is and is to come. This is the word which has been written down for us. It has been given to us through generation after generation. Let us not be ashamed of this word, but let us speak the word. First, let us keep the word. Second, let us walk in liberty of the word. Third, let us speak the word. Fourth, look at verse 48. I will lift up my hands towards your commandments. I will come before your commandments and I will beg for them to bear in my life. I will cling to them as my hope, as my truth. I will offer my hands. I will lift them up in, in offering, in sacrifice. I will surrender my hands to your service. Uh, Romans chapter 6 tells us that we should uh, no longer present the members of our body, the, the parts of our body, as instruments for unrighteousness, but we should present them to God as instruments for righteousness. Use my hands for righteousness. Use my hands for doing what is right and doing what displays you. Lift up your hands. Offer them to God. Lift up your hands in desperation to God, seeking blessing from God in His Word. Lift up your hands in praise to God. I will lift up my hands towards your commandments. And the last thing is I will meditate on your statutes. I will meditate. I will chew over. I will take time to understand. I will take time to slow down. I'll take time to internalize your word. Not just to be like any other book to read through it, to check it off, to maybe even know the story of it. No, I want to meditate upon it so that it, it nourishes me, and that nourishment causes me to grow. Imagine a baby who drinks a bottle and it goes right through them, and they are never nourished, and there is never any, um, any growth that happens in them. That would be devastating. In the same way, would it be also for a Christian, someone who says, I belong to God, I'm a Christian. And 20 years down the road, they're still a baby. They still have not been nourished. Well, have we taken time to, to slow down, to chew on the word, to internalize it, to have God transform us by it? So that as you uh, begin to know the word and, and, and keep his commandments and fail at it, as you begin to walk in the liberty and saying, well, what you know, how can I serve God? I'm free. How can I serve God based on his word? What are ways in which he shows me that I can keep his law and, and serve him? How can I love God and love my neighbor? I'm free to do so. How can I speak his word? And as you do that, and as you realize that you don't do that, as you uh, lift up your hands and you surrender yourself to God and his word, as you are doing these things, let it transform you, shape you, stretch you, grow you, Show you where you come up short. Show you where you have areas to improve. But here's the thing. If you're not interacting with the Word of God at all and you're just reading it like you read every other book, you're not going to feel that. You're not going to grow. You are going to be ashamed. And you won't keep it. And so we are to be people then who keep His Word, walk in service to His Word, speak His Word, lift up our hands and surrender to His Word, 
and meditate upon his word. James 1.25 says, But the one who looks at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Let us be those who look intently at the word and allow it to search us, to teach us, to set boundaries for us, to show us freedom to serve people, to show us ways in which parts of our body can be used for God, to show us ways in which we need to surrender different areas of our lives to God and depend on God greater. Let us be those who are meditating on the word so that all of these things can come to bear, so that we are not just people who relate to the word of God in love and hope and delight, but that we're people who are transformed by the word of God in obedience, in service, in dependence, and in meditating. Let us be people then who are transformed as doers of the word. How do you read the Bible? Is it like any other book? Or is it so that you might be transformed? Is it so that you might be a doer of the word? I would encourage you this week as you read, it doesn't matter even what book you're reading in the Bible, what portion of the Bible you are reading, but ask yourself questions. Ask, you know, what is there I learn about who God is and, and what he's like? And does that does it make me interact differently with him? Does it even make me interact differently with this text? Am I supposed to walk away humble? Am I supposed to walk away encouraged? Am I supposed to walk away trembling? That's going to transform the way you live. That's what it means to be a doer of the word. As you approach the word, ask what you see about mankind, the sinfulness of man. Recognize, is, is there any bits of that in me? Are there things that I need to repent, I need to turn from, that I need to run from and trust in, in God for? Perhaps you're a person who's not truly given your life over to Jesus fully. A person who says, well, yeah, I've, I've kind of read the Bible. I've heard about Jesus. I said that I believe in Jesus. I want to live a right life. Well, the question is, have you given all of your life in absolute surrender to God and say, I can't do this. All that I would have to bring is utterly useless. So God, make me new. Forgive me. Unite me to Jesus so that... My old self, all that I am, all that I've tried for, all that I've tried to earn, all the good that I've done, every striving I have, every sin that is in me, God, put it to death. Put that old person to death. I want to be new. Come to Jesus in faith. Repent. Turn from your old ways. Turn from trusting in yourself. Turn from your sin and trust in God. Say, I don't know how to do this, but I want to trust in you. Transform me. Forgive me. And on the other side of that, you can have promises of the word of God that says, if you confess your sin, he's, he's faithful and he is just to forgive you. Do that. Do that as you read the word of God. Maybe you're seeing the sinfulness of some people and you think, that person is awful. Well, realize that if you break one part of the law, you have trespassed against God. You have gone over the line where he says, don't. And so you might want to try to compare yourself and say, well, I'm really not that bad. Well, God says otherwise. When you break one little law, when you're bitter, when you are wrongfully angry, when you slander someone, when you are uh, jealous of someone, when you are not grateful, God says, it's not okay. 
and you need forgiveness for that. And we are so thankful that the Word of God tells us there is forgiveness in Christ. And so, so come to Him. Come to Him as you read and you see the sinfulness of man. If you are a Christian, you see things about humanity in here. Like, let that humble you. Let, let you just lift it up to God and say, deliver me from this again or make me not like this. Or thank you for shaping me and forming me to not be like this anymore. Just turn your opportunities in the Word of God into uh, praise. Oh God, come to the word and see things to be thankful for, things to transform you. Charles Bridges says, let it be a matter of daily inquiry. Does my reading of the word of God furnish food for my soul, matter for prayer, and direction for conduct? End quote. Does the word of God change me? Does it change me? Does it encourage my soul? Does it feed me? Does it nourish me? Does it cause me to grow? Does it give me things to pray about, whether that's praise of God or, or confession of sin or thanksgiving? Does it give me a different way to live than the way which I thought? Now, don't ins ever insist on your own way, but instead submit your ways to God. Lift it up to God. I'm so thankful for this text. I'm thankful that the Word of God is not a book that just uh, is like any other book. But this is a book that challenges us. It strengthens us. It equips us. It shows us what God is like and what man is like and what he desires us to be like. So then, as you read this text over again, realize what God would have you to be. To be a doer of the word. We want to do that, not so that we can pat ourselves on the back, but so that he gets the glory as he sees us and as others see us being transformed by him so that we might speak of him and others might hear and Lord willing they might come to a saving knowledge of Jesus. That's our, our whole aim in life is his glory and the salvation of, of sinners. So let that be true of you and of me because of how we've read the word. Let us not read the word like any other book this week. Let's pray. Thank you for speaking, God. Thank you for your word. Thank you that we have it before us that shows us how we're to live and how we're not to live. Thank you for the encouragement of David here and just his desire uh, to keep your word, to walk in, in freedom, to serve you, to speak your word with boldness and, and no shame, to lift up his hands and surrender to you and praise to you and to meditate and chew upon your word. God, let all these things be true of each one of us as we want to be people of your word this week. For your glory we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.